Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Pearls and Politics Podcast, where we are polished and poised for greatness and impact. My name is Kahala, and I'm your host. Thank you for joining us today as we interview a musical phenom, the one and only executive director of the Inner Ear Foundation, Rosalind Denise Rogers. Hello. Hello. Executive director. Good morning. Music phenom, violinist. I mean, just, I have no words. Thank you. I have no words. Wow, thank you. And I'm so happy to have you with us today because you are amazing and you are doing amazing work and you are blessing children and communities and schools and and just the world with your gift. And we are so blessed to have you in our space. Thank you. And I could not wait to have you on to tell the entire world about you, your gift, your life, and the Inner Ear Foundation. We often start with how how do we know each other? But I'm gonna tell this story. So I it was years ago. I was in the, an elected capacity, and I was at a Martin Luther King Day event at a well-known, prominent church in East St. Louis, and you were there with your violin and your students. And you played a gospel song that just set the entire church on fire. And I said to myself, this is Caitlin's violin teacher. <laughs> that's what I said. After I calmed down, after the spirit settled, I said, this woman is amazing. And she's beautiful and she's black and she's a woman and she's here in our community. And where have you been all my life? And like, it, it was just, it was amazing. You set the church on fire with a stringed instrument under your chin. And from that moment on, I, I've, I've stand you. And so I've been like, when, how, how old does my daughter need to be? Like, yeah. I mean, can, can I go back 35 years and be a student? Like, you are amazing. So please, so that is how we connected yes. and I've stayed connected and I've followed you on all your platforms and I've watched you be awarded countless awards and go all over the country. And so today you're here on Pros and Politics Podcast to tell those who don't know you yes. all about you and your foundation and the way that you are bringing music and life yes, to communities of color. So please, without further ado, Tell us all about Rosalind. Yes, thank you. And I'm so happy to be here as well. And um, well, I like to tell others that while I'm not from East St. Louis, um, my father, he was born and raised in East St. Louis. And then my mom, she was raised in Kansas City, Kansas. And after um, you know marriage and decisions, we were raised in Kansas. And so um, my heart was always here because of course his family was here and I thought we were so far away from my cousins and my granny. Um, I discovered music here in East St. Louis. I, I stayed up late 
Um, I tell people TV used to go off <laughs> and you watched what was on or you turned it off. And I you know, thought I was watching cartoons that night, but I discovered an orchestra. Um, I think that uh, that night was supposed to happen. You know, it was that night that I decided I was gonna be a black violinist. Um, I don't know why, but I thought I was gonna be the only one, you know, cause I hadn't seen anybody do it. And so um, that really was what, what was began the trajectory of my life. I told my grandfather and um, that Christmas, he purchased two instruments. I'm a twin, I did, uh, like to tell people that. So he purchased two instruments and my sister wasn't as interested. So I had two violins and um, I think uh, Axe Jeeves was the, the uh, search engine at the time. I remember Axe Jeeves. <laughs> And you can just go in and ask any question you wanted. And so I would go in and type um, how to play the piano, how to read music, how to play the violin. And that was really how I started to learn. Uh, of course, when I got ready to go to uh, grade school, they offered it in fifth or fourth grade. But before then, it was a lot of autodidactic um, at work, you know. I started to notice the differences, um, I guess, culturally as I got older. Um, as a young violinist, it was always cute, I guess, to people to see me playing and to see other children who look like me playing. Mm -hmm. As I begin to progress and show uh, interest, a serious level of interest, I started to learn, I guess, life. Um, the cultural differences, uh, being accepted or not. You know, when we would go to those competitions in school and there would be very few others that looked like me, you know, when we would go back to our school, there were many students playing, but none were serious. It was a class to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew that I wanted to teach about age 17, the young lady across the street she saw what I was doing and she's uh, came over and she's like, I want to learn how to play. Her parents purchased her instrument. We set up in the yard and you were how, teaching at 17. Listen, no, no. Uh, <laughs> so this is what happened. We got ready and I realized I didn't know what I was doing. Now, while I thought I could play, you know, we I'm playing at church now. I'm playing at different events. My mom is signing me up to do. I didn't know how to teach. Okay. You know, one of the things that I started to understand about the differences in um, accessibility and culture is even knowing that lessons are needed. I didn't have lessons growing up. Okay. Everything was gleaned off of the opportunities that were presented. You know, I'd soak up the knowledge when um, my teacher would let me know that there is a workshop or he was a, the librarian for the Kansas City Philharmonic. Okay. And so I was allowed to play with them as a high school student, you know, and I just took advantage of those opportunities with parents that were really supportive. But they still lack the knowledge to understand that lessons are a part of this growth in this area. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a cultural thing. You know, when, when we as black people are good at something, we're usually just placed in church, right? Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> your parents, they come and they ask <laughs> you to get in here and sing for, you know, all the family members. <laughs> right. There's never really that cultivation. They think it's a gift and it's just going to get better. And I don't, you know, knock it, of course. Uh, mm -hmm. I was raised in that in that era. But now that I know, 
you know, and I studied and I say, what are the differences? Mm -hmm. Why is it that, you know, a certain group of uh, individuals is able to excel and then another, you know, every once in a while, that person's always the anomaly in other mm -hmm. cultures, you know? When we look at the opportunities for children that are there in communities, you know, you find that only the affluent parents um, know to seek other forms of art, right? Well, that was where I decided like that wasn't good enough for me. You know, um, I had the opportunity to serve as a program director for the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Kansas City. I did that for a few years and then a youth development specialist and just really enjoyed working with the youth uh, at that capacity. I started doing programs at the Boys and Girls Club with the few instruments that I had purchased from garage sales and things like that. And the students were interested. They wanted to learn, they wanted to do this. And then one day, I was in college. Uh, one day I, I heard a song, Alicia Keys song, If I Ain't Got You. I heard that song and I just tried it on my violin. At that time, I never really tried pop music. It was gospel, jazz, things like that. And then knowing that I could imitate the words of songs, mm -hmm. you know, from my instrument, mm -hmm. learning the reason that the violin resonates so well, it imitates the human voice the closest, right? Saxophone being second, you know, and, and seeing how it could reach people who wouldn't necessarily sit and listen to the violin. It sparked the interest in me. It made me want to see how I could uh, introduce this to more of the children that looked like me. And that really is where the, the journey started. I'm a writer. I like to write the things that I think and I see, my visions. And even now, finding those notebooks that speak of what is now the inner ear is a very encouraging thing. I hope somebody caught that, you know. Um, make sure you write down those visions. And I, and I think that's biblical, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think that's biblical. I know that's biblical. And I was the philanthropy chair at Vandercook uh, at my college. And that's really where I started to see the power that I could have with the correct resources. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in college, you know, I'm finishing up. I have this vision of this music program. I'm in youth development. Now I get the opportunity to see it from a funding uh, viewpoint. And mm -hmm. I'm just like, yes, this is what, this is what is going to be. This you know? is the vision. This, this is, is the my vision. calling. This is what I'm going to do. By this time it's 2012. Okay. And I remember uh, the philanthropy chair telling me, you should wait till you graduate. You should wait till you have everything you need to, to launch this program. And I did, I continued to write about it. And many don't know, but originally it was called the Rogers Music Foundation. Okay. Okay, that was the name. And in 2000, by 2012, you know, I'd had these, these um, logos written up for Rogers Music Foundation. But in 2014, um, I was sitting on my bed at my parents' house. Um, it was nearing the end of my degree. So, mm -hmm. and the spirit told me the inner ear. <clears throat> and I was sitting there and I'm just like, no, I've been waiting on this. You know, I, I got this planned and, and just the inner ear. And I'm just like, okay, okay, what, let's see what this could be about, you know? And I write the inner ear down and then I'm like, well, what does this look like though? And then I start to sketch things out. And one of my uh, sorors at the time, 
She is a, a visual engineer. She's a design and graphic design artist. And so I gave her the sketches. And when she gave them back, everything really made sense. And I was taken aback by how she captured just what I saw. Um, I guess it's what was given to me. And um, I moved forward with the inner ear. And seeing all of the opportunities and all of the children that have been able to be impacted underneath that name helps me to understand that I made the the correct Great decision. decision. You know, uh, to think of all the youth that have had the opportunity to see a black violinist for the first time, it still shocks me. It really does, because while that was a dream of mine uh, as a young girl, I still had the opportunity to see some women who looked like me. When I was a 12-year-old child, I went to KU's um, jazz camp. And when we finished registering and we're getting ready, in walks this woman. Um, her name is Tamala, but in walks her, and she is the violin professor. Her name is Tammy Hughes. And she and I was in love and I I'm now have sure you a, were. Yes. I'm like, I can be a professor. Like, you know, it's like in that moment, my expectation of what I could be raised. Representation matters. It does. Representation matters. And having the honor to sit in a room. I, last year we went to Atlanta for the ASTA conference and we're sitting in this room. And I went to this place because here is a senior violist. She's been playing for decades. And she's this beautiful gray hair black woman. And I, I know that I want to sit in here and, and hear whatever she has to say. <laughs> and while she's talking and she's speaking up on her experience, um, I had opportunity to, to speak of mine and, and seeing Tammy uh, play. And when um, I, the next person is called to speak, this woman is saying how that, that violist impacted her. And when I turn around, it's Tammy. And in that moment, I think not just the three of us having that experience to see it full circle, but people in the, the rest of the colleagues who are able to sit in here, here is in some in, like insane, <laughs> fate right uh -huh. like you have three different women from three different parts of the world they're in the same room and they're speaking of the impact that representation has had on their lives and from me being 30 two decades over me two decades over her and they've all had you know the impact on more black children on more mm -hmm. you know people of color who may not have had it and so it lets me know that I'm in the right place, doing the right thing, and having that, I show gratitude for having the um, full circle come while I can experience it. You know, in the moment, it, it, it it's not on paper. Like I'm there in the room when someone who impacted me is in the room with someone who impacted, impacted them. them. Yes. Essentially, essentially, she impacted me as well, you know? Mm -hmm. And so into this day, I still get to um, have co communication with both Tammy and Miss Juliet White is who that other person was, yeah. You have said so much in that segment of time that is so important and so impactful. Yes. One, the, the, the biggest representation matters, right? So you are who you are and where you are and impacting countless, I mean, we can't even count at this point, countless children and people yeah. because you inspire me. 
Okay. Um, representation matters. So for every person who doesn't think that it matters, doesn't care that it matters, that is the crux of the problem. Yeah. It absolutely does. What did you say? You saw someone who looked like you that made you believe. And people always, you should believe it anyway. That made you believe that you could. Yeah. And now you are. And we have to understand that. That's why diversity and equity and inclusion and all these things are so important. Indeed. You're like, oh, I could be a professor. I can do this. I can do that. I can impact the lives of children for the, the duration of their destinies. Yeah. You talked about writing it down. The book of Habakkuk. I, that is one of my favorite. Write the vision and make, make it plain. plain. I have a humongous vision board on my wall in my master bedroom right now. I know my husband's tired of looking at it, okay? <laughs> at the top. Print it, cut it out, paste it at the top is Habakkuk. Write the vision and make it plain. And that is so important, no matter what it is in life that you are believing God for, that you are believing to do, it's so important to write it down yeah. because that helps you. It motivates you. I see that every morning when I wake up. And what did you say? You look back now at the visions that you wrote and you're like, wow, like I'm here, like years ago. And it's not always an instant thing, yes. right? It's it's not even days or months. Sometimes it's years, sometimes it's decades. Yeah. But then you will eventually look back and say, I stayed the course, I was consistent and look what God did. Indeed. And look where you are. And I'm so excited, I'm so excited. So now you have to tell us, now that you've taken us from here to there. Yes. There is the Inner Ear Foundation. Who is the, and, and I say who, because I don't even want to see it as a what, because I'm thinking of you and the children, right? Who is the Inner Ear Foundation and who do you serve? Yeah. So the Inner Ear, it has been molding into um, exactly what God wants it to be, okay? But the Inner Ear is a nonprofit organization uh, providing violin, viola, cello, really array of musical instruments. It's not just string instruments anymore. We provide the resources and the education necessary to equip, empower, and educate youth. And uh, this serves three to 18 year olds. Okay. They come in and they're given the instruments they need. They're given um, the environment as well. People, we have to realize that the environment of which we're learning matters. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, I have the unique opportunity to not only reach them in school through my career, but also in the community through the inner ear. And it being a community-based youth organization means that I'm not limited to what I can do. Mm -hmm. um, being able to work with students from the low end of East St. Louis to the top end and within a 30 mile radius is what the inner ear has the opportunity. Students have played for the governor, the mayor, the senator. They've been, had the opportunity to travel uh, to different states, to different cities to have the opportunity to play and perform and really expand what it is to um, be a musician in their eyes. 
You know, it's not just something you do at school and go home. For some of them, they now see that this can be a part of their life, that it can take them somewhere. Mm -hmm. And even for those others who decide that they don't want to be a musician or a music teacher, um, you'll forever be a musician. When you walk into an area in a space, you appreciate the music on a different level mm -hmm. because of these opportunities. You know, and what I found as a community-based organization is that our families do want what it is that the inner ear has to offer. Absolutely. I am able to empathize with families, um, many single parents, because oftentimes we look in communities like the one I'm able to work in, and we say they don't want better for their children or they don't want for them to take part in these opportunities. They All they care about is this. All and, the myths and lies. Yes. You know, and having the opportunity to be in the community and see and go to the gas station to hear a parent express her desire for her child to be in this program, but also express the, the need to make sure she's fed, mm -hmm. to have to go to work. And if I have to work, then who is transporting the child? Mm -hmm. You know, we, we start to lift the um, biases we have, at least for myself, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm always a what is the solution? You know, and that's where I'm at now with the inner ear. You know, I feel we we currently have funding to provide this service to many children on a grand scale, right? But that doesn't necessarily make it accessible. You know, transportation is a real issue mm -hmm. for youth organizations as a whole. Mm -hmm. Parents are working. The kid can't walk home, you know, or I service three to 18 year olds, three to 16 year olds aren't walking home, you know. So how do we meet the need completely? That's accessibility. That's equity. Just giving the money is not equity. You know, we Absolutely. have to make sure that they have everything. And so when um, I initially decided what we were going to do with the structure of the organization, I, I said, we're going to make sure there's instruments. Because as long as we have instruments, whether I'm paid or not, I'm able to do the mm -hmm. mission of the To do the work, ear. exactly. And so I'm happy to know that for years to come, as long as God is allowing me to, I'll be able to do this mission, you know, uh, to reach children and, and positively impact youth through music. You know, th they become my children, having three daughters of my own. You know, I think that I couldn't even imagine them not feeling loved, them not feeling affirm affirmed mm -hmm. for the things that they're able to do, them not being encouraged to try new things. And so I, I think that, again, it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to be in the role of mm -hmm. executive director, you know, of a director, you know, I, artistic director. I actually serve too many positions at the moment. I understand <laughs> that. We all do, right? Yes. Yes. You know, but one thing I'll say is that it has to be a passion. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is that you're doing has to be a passion mm -hmm. because problems are sure to come, mm -hmm. right? Um, mishaps, tribulations, low points, and not just in our business, but mm -hmm. in our lives, mm -hmm. right? You know, I, I've learned over the past season that we have to compartmentalize what's going on. I'm a mom, 
Mm-hmm. I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. I'm a mentor. And under those three things, we can add subcategories. But being able to say this problem only belongs over here mm-hmm. allows me to enjoy what's happening underneath something else. Mm-hmm. You know, when life is lifing, as people are saying That's right my, now. One of my know? favorites. Life, you know, it be life. Because do. Life be right? It's the passion that gets you to the other side. When when your money start looking crazy, when things start breaking down, when when your kids start you know acting crazy, uh huh, mm-hmm, uh huh. What's not a passion is gonna be the first thing you drop, which is not necessarily a terrible thing, right? We you know the only difference between me and someone else who is still finding what they want to do and be is that I was blessed enough to find my passion sooner. We're all on the same journey to do that. Mm-hmm. And so when we come across that before someone, there should be a sense of gratitude um, for that opportunity. It didn't take. I used to think I had to have gray hair, which I do. Oh, I we're do. not even mm-hmm. going to get on that. Yeah. No. I used to think that I had to be teaching for, you know, many decades to be taken seriously. And, you know, the Holy Spirit shows us differently, right? You know, I this past two or three years... You know, I've been honored in ways that I thought that my kids were going to be grown to see. And I have watched it. I have <laughs> seen it. When I tell you, you are in my algorithm, okay? And I, I'm i just like, oh, she's being honored again. How deserving. Oh, she's receiving another award. When I tell you, and obviously, right, I'm not a musician. I don't operate in a musical space. So I know amongst peers and colleagues, it's one thing to be respected, so I can't speak to that, but I see it, right? Yes. But I can tell you as a lay person, as somebody who father told her, rest his soul, that was, I was a daddy's girl, my baby can't carry a note in a bucket. Literally cannot. Um, failed miserably at piano, like everything. But I'm raising a musician though, yeah. and hoping to raise another one. Um, but I can only speak to the non-musician you are so respected, you are so admired, and what you're doing means so much because you could be anywhere in the world. Let's 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 keep it real. I said it, she didn't. You could be anywhere in the world, but because of who you are and what God put in you and your passion, you have chosen to be in the space that you're in. And that is so honorable. That is so respectable because you could be anywhere and your inner ear is here with us and we thank you okay we thank you and now we gonna talk about how we can help like how we can assist and then how we can get to you because so many people don't know obviously yes we want people to go to the website and follow all the social media platforms but we want to know where you are and we want to know how our babies can become your babies. Yeah. So we are semi-nomadic in the sense that God has not given us a building just yet. Just yet. Okay. Just yet. So right now we are so grateful for St. Matthew's Baptist Church uh, for allowing us use of their space. Mm-hmm. We have classes twice a week there on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, we also, uh, as a partner of District 189, 
We also have classes on Saturdays, first and third Saturdays at Lincoln Middle School. Uh, in the future, we expect to have a building, um, not just a, a planted building, but also a mobile access to our program for youth. And if you are interested in being a part of that, you can visit the inner ear and click support. You can send a message and say, this is how I want to help, you know. Uh, while students no longer have to pay a tuition for our program, it does cost a little over $800 per child a year. Okay. And so when people send donations for those purposes, they go directly to that. You know, students don't have to pay for anything when they're coming here. Oftentimes, you know, they they don't have to pay for their clothes. They don't have to pay for their shoes. Um, in an effort to make sure that those are not reasons that you cannot participate. You know, many may see it as, you know, limiting and things like that. But when you know there's a need, forcing someone to ask for help is not love. And when we create circumstances that still create hierarchies, that is not a loving space. And these students that are being served did not decide to be in a situation where their parents has to decide on whether they can experience art in its multiple forms or whether they just gotta go to school and go home. Mm -hmm you know, or whether they can only do programs that are at the school building because they can't get anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Or they can't go on the school trips because that would just be so much out of their parents' budget. These mm -hmm. are real situations. Mm -hmm. And I'm honored to be able to, you know, meet a few of those, you know, needs. needs. You know, when I think of them and the smiles that they have, the sense of accomplishment, the characteristic growth that occurs in my classroom, mm -hmm. it ensures me that um, I'm, it's not just time spent. You know, a lot of times I tell my children it's not just music. You know, these lessons may apply to the moment that we're in, but when you go into your reading classroom, she's giving you pieces of herself as well. And so when we bow at the end of our classes and we understand that I'm bowing with you and our bow is a form of respect, in many cultures, a bow is a form of respect. We're saying thank you to the audience. We're saying thank you for listening. But we're going to bow to each other because I'm thankful that you're allowing me to teach you. Mm -hmm. And I want you to be thankful that you're being taught. Mm -hmm. And that lesson to carry on into the other areas of your life, not just school, when someone gives you knowledge. That's something that can't be taken away. And it's something that people should do more freely. Mm -hmm. We covet our knowledge. We covet our resources. And that is not beneficial to the anyone. end goal of It's not beneficial better. to anyone. No. Um, and I know that is one of my passions. Um, I'm a servant. Yes. I love to serve. I'm an advocate. So I love to give of my time and my energy and my knowledge to advocate for others, yes. which in essence is exactly what you're doing. Yes, ma'am. Um, there are different forms of advocacy. Yours is education and music and the arts. Mine in many times is from a legal standpoint, but I've advocated in many spaces throughout my life. And you just said so many wonderful things, you know, that, to be able, I know for me, when I was looking at the many places that, like you said, that you're having your lessons, 
And I'm thinking, okay, well, how can I get her there at this time? But yeah. And so if I'm in a two-parent home and, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer and my husband does what he does and, you know, we, I can't, but I'm born and raised in East St. Louis. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not hard for me as a black woman in a black family raised in a black community to be able to say, I can't imagine if I was working second shift. I work first shift five days a week and I'm sitting up here like, OK, between soccer practice Listen. with the middle <laughs> child and and the oldest is I mean, he's with the marching band and O'Fallon. So it's like banned on steroids every day. It's 24 hours of band. I'm trying to figure that out. And so I can't imagine as a single parent, as you just gave an example of, I can't imagine with trying to figure out how to pay for it or whatever. And so I can relate, I can empathize in many issues, sympathize because we're all parents. Yeah. We all, most of us have multiple children. We all work for the most part because we're productive people. And right. so just trying again, like you said, to navigate that life piece and still give your children what they deserve. Yeah. Not just what they want. They deserve that. They deserve that education. They deserve the arts. Indeed. They deserve the sciences. They deserve the music. They deserve food and a safe space and all those things. And what you're providing, it just goes beyond words. And you are such a beautiful mind. Like I'm sitting here watching you and I'm watching the passion. We talk about passion a lot here at Pros and Politics Podcast. And I'm passionate about so many things. And sometimes I'm like, maybe I should be passionate about fewer things. And then maybe I can get more done. But your passion, it exudes. And your gift exudes. And your mind, like it's, I'm just looking at your face and I'm hearing your voice. And I'm just like, her mind is just beautiful but I understand that because like I said I'm raising a musician and I see how the responsibility now he still got some work to do mm -hmm. he is a 15 year old boy okay the responsibility piece but he has grown in responsibility he has grown in teamwork yeah he has grown in you know his musical skill his father was the person that you're talking about that wasn't the trained musician, but had this amazing gift. He could play anything, any instrument. He could play any. I would be like, oh, you mentioned Alicia Keys when you don't know my name, the, the yeah. run on the piano. And I was like, play that. And he was, I mean, nothing, right? Yeah. And then he decided like you, but he much later in life, I want to do some greater things. And in addition to my gift, I need some additional things. So he went to college. Yeah. Older, right? We were in our late 20s and inspiring others. He was inspired by my law school journey because that's when we met. And he's like, well, you make me want to go back. And he enrolled in what would have been the, I, the IU School of Music mm -hmm. in Indiana, wow. right? Yeah. And so he would have completed that music degree had he not passed away. And that's why I cultivate that gift in our son. Right. Because I'm like, one, out of respect for the legacy, yeah. right? Because on both sides of his family, they either sing or play music or whatever. Um, and then I believe it will take him places. What did you just say? You've been everywhere and you've done everything. I believe he wants to either be like 
plan for Jay State or he loves the Ohio State's marching band. Like those are just the things that music builds in our children. And like you said, it's it's diminished. It's taken for granted. It's just like, uh, well, they can or they cannot. But he has done private lessons for as long as I can remember because I'm like, I believe in doing all things well. Like if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Exactly. And I push that, for lack of a better word, on my children. And so he takes private lessons and he does all types of things. And I'm always like, okay, you all stay on that game. But, you know, I just bought this brand new trombone. Listen. And that when I tell you they got me, they got me. <laughs> and he was like, well, ma'am, don't worry, because by the time he needs another one, yep. he will be able to buy it himself. It's got all these valves and stuff. He's going to be straight. Girl, I was <laughs> like, how much? What? It was you what? know, I, I think that if we've seen it, if we really understood the impact of music in, in kids' lives, we would see it as abuse to not make it accessible. I agree. The the benefits of it, character-wise, mm-hmm. mind, we, we have studies over, over studies after Countless studies. studies, yes. That show the mental benefits of music. Mm-hmm. Yet we continue to withdraw it from educational institutions and programs and add more testing and add more supplemental education when the benefits can be found by just continuing music education, you know? And I think we have to take advantage of the inner ear in the sense that it can happen after school. You Mm -hmm. know, it does not rely on the state of education at the current time. My advocation for music has bled over to the diversity, equity, and inclusion, and what that really looks like. Having had the opportunity to build this program and run it in a a city like this, um, and when I say a city like this, a city that's continually ignored, um, taken from, you know, a, a city that has a focus that does not necessarily benefit its youth. You know, when we, when we look at that, I think that we have to make a decision that is something that we're going to keep here. The, the music has a really historic role in East St. Louis mm-hmm. that I'm honored to know, honored to continue to learn about. You know, these are programs that my dad and his brothers grew up under and I would hear about, you know. And so I count it an honor to add strings, orchestral music, you know, as a whole to this legacy. Mm-hmm. You know, Catherine Dunham had a phrase and I I hadn't known much about her until I decided to move here and teach. And I wanted to. She said, I didn't count myself a pioneer. I just knew that everything that I wanted to see, I had to start. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, that's yeah. that's those are the words that I that I may not have had at the time. Right, but that's exactly what I was thinking. And I'm going to do that, you know, as long as God tells me that this is where I'm supposed to be, I'm going to do what it takes. You know, I'm going to do what I'm asked to do and I've truly believe that whatever I touch turns into gold. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, you know, while I'm reaping the benefits of God's favor over my life, um, this is where he has me. And that means that East St. Louis reaps the favor that God has over my life. Amen. And for that, we are grateful. Yes. And for that, we are grateful. <laughs> well, now we know who you are. Yes. And we have felt your vision. 
And now we know who the who the Inner Ear Foundation is and where we are, where you are and how to reach you. And we also have a charge, right? We also know how to support. So we go to the website and we click support and we can donate. Um, it can be reoccurring. It could be one time. Um, you will also, you can subscribe and have access to when our concerts are, where to see the children when they're performing next. All of those things are accessible at the website. And to understand that the inner ear, having the background of Boys and Girls Club, that idea of different locations. Yes, the East St. Louis location was first. It can always claim that. Uh, look for inner ear in different cities, in different countries. Um, we have we have some exciting news coming really soon. And so it's not just East St. Louis, but East St. Louis will always have my heart. And um, the babies, you know, will always be those, a part of my history. You know, they they have a history and they've they've mm -hmm. made it mm -hmm. as being one of the first orchestral programs in East St. Louis in over 40 years. You guys, when you make a decision to enroll your child into this, they are too a part of history. Mm -hmm. You know, this this is something that they can be proud of. You can be proud of. And when they're with me, just know that they are being loved yes. and cared for as if yes. they are my own. I can't wait. And I'm so grateful to be here. And thankful to you for having me. Yes. Thank and you. I am so grateful that you took time out of your busy schedule um, because you are busy um, doing the outstanding work that you do. And thank you so much for coming on today. And we just cannot wait to share with the world everything yes. that you are. Thank and will you come back? Yes. You'll have to bring you'll have to bring the the children the babies, with you. of course yes. they would love to yes some of them um already are ready to take my job as they say okay well see that's what we're talking about so we are going to do something special today as we close today's episode of pros and politics podcast we as always we want to thank you for joining us today she will be back and she is going to play us out ladies and gentlemen but please come back and see us again next week and in the meantime, please like, love, share, and subscribe. Go ahead.